This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Huge thanks to Monique Sabir for the last three hours of Out on the Patio. She'll be back next Wednesday from 4pm with all the latest new music from Australia and New Zealand. But for now, welcome to Bite Into It, where we're going to be talking all the latest exciting, thought-provoking and downright scary stuff in the world of computers, new technology, online culture and everything in between. With me in studio tonight are Cassie Wright. How are you doing, Cassie? I'm great. Thanks, Dan. Not a problem. Not a problem. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> and Tyler Smith, how are you doing? Uh, I'm also doing okay. Excellent. Thanks, Good Dan. to hear. My name's Dan Salmon. Thank you very much for joining us. Later on the show, we're going to be speaking to a Web Directions organiser, John Allsop, to go over the upcoming Web Directions Design Conference, as well as uh, Dominic Hess of Plant Light Balance, which is an Australian-first virtual greening app using augmented reality to educate Aussies on how to improve air quality and general well-being. But before we get into uh, all of that and uh, the bigger news of the week, uh, we should acknowledge the passing this afternoon of Professor Stephen Hawking, arguably the greatest astrophysicist in history. He gave us a brief history of time and was a hero of space geeks like me everywhere. So uh, he was 76 years old and we uh, wanted to take a moment to acknowledge that. It is also Pi Day for those of us who don't use the uh, the proper way the proper way of notating dates, which is a day, month, year. If you're a month, day, year kind of person, today is three. 3.14, which means something to a lot of people as well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you're an American. If you're an American. It's what we're guys. saying. If you're an American. Uh. Um, but... In perhaps more uplifting news, and I mean that quite literally, uh, <laughs> New Zealand has uh, looks like it's getting some flying taxis, self-flying or self-piloting, excuse me, zero emissions flying taxis are being shown off across the ditch. Um, it's backed by Google co-founder Larry Page. It's called the Cora. It's a flying vehicle that can apparently go as fast as any car. Um, it's made by uh, Larry Page's company, Kitty Hawk. It has 12 fans for the wings, which give it enough lift apparently to take off vertically. And it will uh, go along at a ra- lazy 150 kilometres an hour. Guys, I'm not sure I believe that this is ever going to happen. What do you think about I this? I mean, we don't have self-driving taxis, like on-the-ground taxis yet. Yeah. They don't have to navigate roads, though, up in the air. Where we're going, we don't need roads. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Having said that, like, there are a lot less aircraft to run into up there, so I feel like if you're going to be testing pilotless vehicles, maybe where there are less vehicles to run into, it's probably a better idea to but try that first. But aren't there, like, mountains in New Zealand? Oh, I'm sorry, that's really dumb. <laughs> there is some. We've been watching no. too much Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Aren't there mountains in Mordor? No, all the, all um, the mountains in Mordor were CGI. <laughs> Um, well, I, I don't know. I do think it's it's interesting. And from what I saw, it was something that they wanted to do over a long time. And New Zealand was a, a good place to do that. Um, they have said New Zealand as a country want to have a zero emission country status by 2050. So mm. um, there's some long-term plans out there. So, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm optimistic mm. and... Uh, as always, you know, we want things to happen. Whether or not it's going to happen tomorrow is a whole different discussion. Yeah, well, that's a good question. It's good but to hope. Absolutely. Really, yeah, it's, it's definitely not going to happen. Future, yeah. it's, it's not going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> what? No. Uh, My main concern about this, well, not a concern, but I don't think it's going to be replacing air travel anytime soon because if it's only going at 150 k's an hour and you're already you're trying to fly at 900 k's an hour when you go, you know, to Sydney from New Auckland, for example, in three hours, you're not going to be going at 150 k's an hour for no emissions, surely. Yeah, but it is replacing small planes. So, like, a lot of light aircraft um, or... Um, 
Um, the fact that you don't need a pilot, you could just take a flight from A to B as a taxi service. You know, all the government officials that are taking helicopters down to Geelong um, would be able to do something like this instead. That's Melbourne to Geelong, not uh, New right. Zealand to Geelong. <laughs> um, so, yeah, as, uh, for a small plane, it's, you're still going faster than a car and you're still able to tweet and stuff while you're on the plane because you don't have to fly it. You don't need a pilot licence, which is a long and gruelling process. Mm. It, it, it sounds completely safe. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that is not particularly safe by the sounds of it is uh, uh, a new idea uh, out, of, out of the US, I believe, Tyler. Do you want to give yeah, us some yeah. so the, uh, down on this? You, you may have heard of the startup accelerator Y Combinator, which was uh, sort of the thing that kicked off a lot of companies like Dropbox and Reddit and um, Airbnb, um, has a new company in its grasp called Nectome. Um, Nectome, founded by uh, Robert McIntyre, describes its technology as 100% fatal. <laughs> Sign me up. Uh, it's which I'm I'm already sold. Uh, Nectome's um, uh, technology is uh, apparently using a high tech embalming process to preserve brains uh, for the future, where they will be able to hopefully upload memories and personalities and consciousness to computers. Um, Ah, so, so like, like like the floating heads in exactly. Futurama? Is yeah, that what exactly. We're talking about? Minus the head. Okay. <laughs> or even like you know the San Junipero um, episode of Black Mirror. Yes. Where they've they've yeah, got that yeah. going on with Donald Gleeson. That one where it's really it's like they put him into a body yeah, or put his memories into a body or so like you're looking at someone else's eyes that one yeah. Yeah, yeah or the one where they're uploaded to like a fictional world mm. oh. where they're sort of it's like they're playing Second Life but. They're actually playing it and yeah, they're yeah, uploaded yeah. when they die. I, I feel like the longer we go along here, the more Black Mirror episodes there are that reflect <laughs> the things that we talk about. Um, so the uh, the downside of uh, Nectome's technology is that it's not an after-death procedure. It is an, op- <laughs> it, it is an opt-in, uh, pay for a waiting list, $10,000 is the waiting list at the moment, uh, f- to uh, essentially die and have your brain preserved in the hope of being uploaded in the future. Um, so they're, they're marketing it, obviously, towards uh, terminally ill patients and uh, the elderly who, who want to give it a crack, essentially. Same sort of thing as cryogenics. It's an interesting really. idea. Yeah. I mean, the idea that you would want to mm. preserve yourself for the future, but yeah. then you would need everyone who you know and love to want to preserve themselves yeah. as well. Yeah. And, like, uh, I, I don't know, personally, if I, if I was in the boat where I was looking for assisted, uh, assisted suicide uh, euthanasia... Uh, then I would probably opt in for that. Yeah, it, it, give it a chance. It'd be interesting to see if there were any sort of brain conditions or um, things that that needed to not be there or mm. could be worked around for that. Like, for example, if a patient's reached dementia, um, ca- can that be fixed in mm. the mm-hmm. in the process? Re- reversible processes, yeah. That kind of thing. Um, but it'll be interesting to check that out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. In uh, other health news, Cassie, yes, rejoice. So, <laughs> um, so there was a recent announcement from Fitbit, the uh, smartwatch fitness tracking company that we all uh, know, some of us know and love, um, of a new watch called the Versa, which it's its mass appeal smartwatch. Now, Fitbit is normally a little bit pricey. There are other smartwatch models that are a bit cheaper, but this one is coming in at about $100 cheaper than current models at the time. So it is meant to be more for everyone. Um, And there's a lot of interesting things that they've released, but one of the most exciting for me is the fact that they're going to do in-app and in-smartwatch menstrual tracking. So um, 
you guys might not be that familiar with this, but for a lot of people out there who do menstruate and um, want to track their cycles, there are different apps that they can use that. The thing with apps like Fitbit is it replaces a lot of those other apps, but this is still something that's not included mm. in, in what it is. So um, Apple's Health Kit has uh, tracking for... And when you do track your menstruation, um, which is periods by the way. Um, it's also tracking things like ovulation. So a lot of people use it for when's the best time to conceive. Um, some people might use it for natural family planning methods. Some people might use it for when am I going to have an acne breakout or, mm, you mm. know, um, when am I going to be a little bit angrier or, you know, <laughs> need to. Um, so what they, what Fitbit has said when it comes to uh, female health tracking is what they're calling it, which is a little bit um, problematic as well because you it, it's only available to you if you opt in as a female on it. A tiny bit of data harvesting there. Well, that, but also um, anyone who is non-binary mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. um, identifies as male but does menstruate as well mm -hmm. is kind of excluded from this at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, but it also... It doesn't. It allows you to track your cycle and see when your next period will be coming, but it'll also do things like recommend more sleep in the coming week or suggest exercise. And although that might sound a little nanny state, there mm. are currently apps like Glow and Clue that that offer those features. Um, it's just interesting to see where it's going to go because for those of us who don't have periods, uh, they've also said a lot of stuff that they want to integrate, um, reminding when your medicines are, uh, reminding you where ha tips on how to get a great sleep. They really want to make it a bit more conversational. So mm. I'm excited to see where this goes. And for me, it's showing that there could be more ways on tracking cycles that aren't just putting things in. It could be heat, body temperature, uh, you know, if, if there's mm. a way to get hormones in there mm. that could be really interesting so keep your eyes peeled watch Definitely. this space yes web directions those of you who are long-time listeners to the show might be familiar with the various web directions conferences that we uh love here uh, in australia they're all, they cover all kinds of uh, different um aspects of online uh, development and uh, tech culture uh Coming up very shortly is Web Directions Design 2018, and we are thrilled to have John Alsop, the organiser of Web Directions, on the line from Sydney. John, thanks for joining us. You're most welcome. It's great to be here. Um, yeah, hey, John. Um, so, uh, coming up, the Web Directions uh, design has two main themes, the impact of design and the impact of artificial intelligence and machine learning. So, uh, how did you come to those themes? Look, I think uh, so the way we look at developing our conferences is to typically kind of feel the zeitgeist. What, what are people talking about in a field? Now, we, we, we cover design and we cover development and, and other aspects of kind of developing and designing digital products and services. So, you know, we kind of immerse ourselves in all, all those things and kind of try and just get a sense of, of, of what professionals are grappling with, what they're talking about. Mm. And I guess the two things that, that have really emerged over the last couple of years is the sort of impact of the design that people do. You know, it, you know right now I think it, it's increasing realisation that design is a choice and what products and services do, who they include and exclude, how they impact the people who work for a company or work with a company, all of these things are kind of sort of designed into the product whether, whether we do it consciously or not. So I think that's something that people in the design profession are, are really starting to, to think a lot about. About and the ethics of that. 
And of course, the second side, as you mentioned, is artificial intelligence, which I think has two impacts on the design professions and then what people build and, and design. One is artificial intelligence as a, as a medium in itself, as, as in the same way that kind of mobile became a medium that designers had to grapple with and come to terms with and extract you know, the best poss possible experiences from. I think, you know, intelligence, machine intelligence, is a similar sort of thing. And the second aspect is is really, and Jonathan Mader, John, sorry, John Mader in his, his kind of state of design every year, he kind of has this, it was just the other day at South by Southwest, this sort of big report into the state of design, kind of highlighted that, that so many in the design field are really concerned about what happens in the design world when machines, when software is increasingly doing creative work, what is the role of a designer? So all of these things are, are kind of running around in the design professions and, and, and they're things that we think people want to talk about. Now, John, we did talk a little bit before about how Web Directions covers a whole different um, range of, of interesting things. Uh, we've been more familiar with the coding stuff in the past, and most people would know that we have developers and designers that work hand-in-hand -hand on a lot of projects to really achieve what we've got in the world today. Now, from what you're saying, there's a lot of stuff about ethics and, um, you know, whether, whether design can be sexist or whether design can make us trust something more. What impact uh, will we see or do, do you think that designers can actually have on this process that a lot of people um, might see coding as just achieving a means to an end and not any of the ethical implications of that? Right. So, look, I, I think increasingly that's just not a fig leaf. We, whether we're designing, whether we're developing or playing a hybrid role, we can't hide behind that anymore. The work we do has enormous impact on the world. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I think increasingly people are realising that we simply cannot avoid the, the consequences, the implications of the work that we do. And I think this is a kind of personal responsibility because, to be quite honest, in a world where for a lot of people finding meaningful work is a real challenge, people who, who develop digital products and services, you know, are in huge demand. They are incredibly well paid, are in, you know, like literally people are coming to Australia from all over the world to poach people to go work in the US and in Europe. They come to our conferences and they want to sponsor us to, to sort of reach in, and connect with Australian designers and developers and, and, to, and to offer them the opportunity to go work, work elsewhere. So when you're in great demand, that, that's a tremendous uh, privilege, but there's a responsibility, I think, that comes with it that you get to pick and choose in the way a lot of other people don't necessarily get to. The sort of company you work for, the, the, the people you work with, and the products and services you work on and I, and I think that that's a tremendous amount of um, kind of opportunity for so many people who, who I, you know like for the most part I think the people that I meet in our industry are tremendously ethically minded I think constantly about the impact of the quality of their work and, and, and what they're working on so I think it's, it's this kind of you know both an opportunity and, and a privilege but also responsibility to think about those implications and I think we're increasingly seeing that um, you know, and we're starting to see companies, massive companies with billions of dollars, stumble and, and really struggle because of unethical behaviour, because of the way they perhaps exploit their workforce. Um, you know, we've we've seen countless things like that in Australia with both traditional franchise-type businesses as well as, you know, delivery-type businesses in the kind of new economy as well. So I think there's, there's a growing realisation that doing things, the right things in the right way is as important as, as what you do. Absolutely, and so it's looking over the program for the for the conference, uh, John. It looks like you've really got a, a fair few uh, people 
touching on those themes. Is there anything out, uh, anything in the program that you're particularly happy with in terms of addressing those issues? Um, look, so a few. There's a little one, but it's kind of one of those little things that is always nice when things come together. So, so I was reading. You know, one of the things I really do is spend my life. You know, keeping track of trends, uh, what people are writing about, you know, as I said, the sort of zeitgeist and the, of the field we're in. And I remember seeing this article a few, well, maybe only sort of a couple of months ago about some work being done at Atlassian uh, about uh, the way in which they represent uh, iconographically people within teams and organizations. So they call these meeples. And a meeple is a, is a kind of, uh, a kind of almost cartoon-like representation of a person. But what they wanted very much to do was to be very inclusive around, around the, and, and represent all kinds of different, you know, diverse range of people. Uh, and so there was a really great essay uh, with examples written by the designers who worked on this. And I looked into it, and you know, we have a great relation with Alassian, they're here in Australia, like obviously a great Australian success story. And sadly it turned out that, that the two people who worked on this work in San Francisco, they're American designers. So I filed that away, but I happen to have a meeting with someone who's also on our program from Alassian, Lisa Reicholt, who's, who's kind of world-renowned in our field, and she's now the head of user research and insights at, at Alassian. She was at the Digital Transformation Agency before and she said oh well we might be able to you know they might be in town and it turns out they were actually going to be in town for an Alaskan internal thing in Sydney that week so I reached out and they're going to come down and speak about this and so they're going to do a case study about how they can you know you can take these ideas about diversity and inclusion and they can manifest themselves in graphic design and illustration so there's a kind of nice little story there of something I thought you know it was the serendipity I guess and all the connections that, that came together to, to allow them to be there so that's one of about 20 sessions sessions uh, and I, I'm really looking forward to that one. That sounds really amazing and um, just to touch on it again you spoke about bringing people together and um, designers being in demand, developers being in demand, people getting poached. What sort of uh, ethical guidance or what guides you in putting this event together and um, bringing people together to promote the industry abroad in Australia uh, I'm sure there must be you know some effects on on your own work when you're creating something like web directions yeah, look, I guess, you know, my background is that I worked in, I have worked in the web since the early 90s, since almost its very first days. And, and that's just, you know, quite by good luck and accident, um, happened to be in the right place at, or the wrong place at the right time. Or, or, but, but really, you know, the web has kind of shaped my life and given me enormous opportunities to, to travel and to do work at places like CERN, where I was involved with their 25th anniversary of one of the earliest web browsers a few years ago. So, you know, it's been, in, and then it's, it's shaped my life. It's given the opportunity to, to continue to explore in, incredibly interesting work, um, you know, well into into my middle age, I guess. Um, so, so I guess, you know, again, the responsibility I take from that is is the opportunity, ha- having built connections and a deep understanding of our field over that quarter of a century or so, to be able to kind of help. I mean, I guess my, my, real cha- my real goal now is to amplify the voices of other people, uh, and that could be on a stage, that could be, you know, through, you know, publishing their writing, uh, that could be simply connecting you know, two people together at one of our events or someone I met here with someone over there and, you know, like I play all sorts of roles like this. So so I guess increasingly what I, the medium in I work in is, is not, you know, even I still build the odd thing online, uh, you know, increasingly what I do is I kind of hopefully kind of, the, my medium is people and, and hopefully connecting them and, and amplifying their voices and, and amplifying their opportunities uh, in the same way like a quarter of a century or so, um, you know, I had the opportunity to be involved in something which was very, very different than what it is today. Ah, interesting. Um, So, uh, I've noticed 
on your website, you've actually got uh, a few more Web Directions events coming up later on in the year. Obviously, you do you hold many each year. The uh, Web Design Code in August, Web Design Summit in November, and you've got AI and Culture in October on the same day. Uh, can you tell us about what we might have in store for those? Um, so for AI and culture in particular? Or oh, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, seeing as you're right. uh, jumping into AI Let with me, uh, the design, yeah. probably right. are they going to be informing each other at all, do you think? Oh, or? absolutely. So so the way we started a sort of pop-up conference last year, so we, we often do this, we'll start a conference around an idea that we think is emerging and interesting. It'll be a one day and it'll be very much, let's see what interest there is. And sometimes they stick and we continue and sometimes they don't, you know, obviously there isn't quite the energy there and that's fine as well. So we did that with both AI and culture last year. Um, AI, to me, the interesting thing about artificial intelligence, and, and I studied computer science in the 1980s when it was, again, the, all the rage, uh, but the promise I think that a lot of us had in mind then is really coming to fruition now. And to me, it's, it's less about the technology in itself, which is interesting and fascinating, but really what, what does the technology enable? And I think it enables two things. It enables you to, to add some intelligence to an existing product or service and just make it better. Like my example I often use is, well, take your, take your smartphone, take, turn off predictive text, and it, you, you'll probably find it almost unusable, right? This $1,000 super you know, high you know, kind of gloss luxury product becomes basically so much less useful because a little application of machine learning, which is predictive text, isn't there anymore. So I like to get people to think about what is, what is the predictive text of the product or service that I'm already working on? What can make it so much better just with just a little bit of intelligence? And then, of course, there's a whole raft of new kinds of businesses and products and services and ways of you know, delivering services to, you, to citizens, whatever it happens to be, that machine learning is opening up. And I think it's particularly exciting because it's compared to even three, four, five years ago where you needed your own data science degree and you really needed to be kind of well-versed in some very deep, complex techniques, a lot of these things are available now, whether it's on Amazon Web Services or IBM Watson, Google Cloud Platform, a whole range of other startup API platforms that essentially give you natural language processing, speech-to-text, text-to-speech, image recognition with a few lines of code. And often you can even just prototype these things in sandboxes without even really needing much of any development skills at all. So to me, it's, it, it, it's a really incredibly exciting time to be working with those technologies because they are becoming increasingly affordable, like really almost free to use, um, and certainly to explore and experiment with. Um, you know, it, it, you, you know in, a, in a few hours, you can build, you know, something like Babelfish. You could prototype, you know, that idea of, of something that will, will, will understand speech turn into text, translate that to another language, and then read it back in that other language. You, you could literally in an afternoon prototype that now using one of those, one of those APIs. So, so there's a whole range of enormous and exciting opportunities. And so we actually have AI-related content at all our events now, really, because it's, it, it's, it's a bit like having you know, mobile at every event. You wouldn't even talk about it anymore. It's just simply the primary way in which we interact with devices now. Uh, and so I think increasingly AI is that sort of foundational to all the work that designers and developers and business thinkers will do. It's an interesting idea, this, um, you know, the excitement about AI. I've, I've noticed you've got uh, Corey and Joseph who might be touching on uh, something that might be a little bit less exciting about AI. And we're seeing, you know, a lot of, you know, everyone's, uh, well, not everyone, but people like Elon Musk are kind of being a bit cautious around everyone jumping into it. Is, is, there, is there much more on that kind of side of the program where people need to be a little bit more wary about jumping into the, uh, the kind of hype around artificial intelligence? Well, look, I guess, I guess it weaves more broadly into this sort of deeper thinking about the ethics of what we do. 
Um, so one of the presentations that I think is very apposite to this is Hillary Sinus. Now, Hillary is the kind of head of user experience at Data61, which is kind of part of CSIRO, and she works extensively with a whole lot of, you know, big data people who, who uh, you know, like, you know, basically are grappling with the implications of the work they're doing with that, um, you know, like, you know, whether it, whether it's, you know, like somebody built the robo, you know, debt stuff at, at, at Centrelink, right? So someone went and built that, someone thought about it, that was designed and, and, and by people working on large amounts of data and so on. So, you know, like she's going to be addressing those sorts of issues, uh, you know, based on the work they've been doing at Data61. Uh, and then our opening keynote is by Sarah Vakta-Bircher. And so Sarah um, has recently read, she's worked a lot around inclusivity in design, design at the edges rather than, you know, we, we tend to design for the median. You know, we're not designing for the per like hospital websites aren't designed for a, a, you know, a, and this is this is a story from her book. Um, basically, you know, a parent whose child has been airlifted with an emergency illness to a hospital and they have to drive 300 kilometres, and they're looking up the website of that hospital, and it's a welcome from the CEO. It's not like how you get to ER when I get at the end of my five-hour drive to, to make sure my daughter's all right, right? So, so she's done a lot of work around, around all of that. And her most recent book, it's only recently been published, and it's very popular, it's kind of a bit of a bestseller, is really about um, kind of toxic technology, the sort of the toxic way in which the things that we build impact our society, our community, even, though, even your workplace, right? But, um, you know, everything we do is kind of largely mediated by technology now. Uh, and, and so, you know, she's got to talk extensively about... Often unintentionally, the way we build things that have these kind of really toxic impacts on other people, because you know they're not, you know, if you know if, if someone's quite different to you, their experience, might, you know, might just simply may not occur to you, because you know you're a you know twenty-something kind of single person, and then they're a forty-five-year-old kind of you know newly divorced someone, or a, you know, like there are all these really interesting implications for when we don't have diverse teams of people, um, because you know we don't have diverse teams, we don't have diverse points of view and, and we kind of miss the perspective of, and, and the impact on, on the people who fall outside that kind of medium. So there is a whole range of things around this uh, and I, I personally I think that's the heart of the event in a way is thinking through the impact of the work we're doing because you know as, as, as design becomes increasingly valued within business and elsewhere um, you know it, it has increasing influence on business decision making and, and strategy and so on and I think you know these sorts of considerations have to, have to help shape business decision making. Absolutely. Uh, John, uh, we'll have to uh, wind up, but uh, Web Directions Design is happening here in Melbourne on April 12th and 13th. There are still tickets available, I take it? There are indeed. Absolutely. Yeah. And, do, and will you need to be in Melbourne or is there going to be uh, a, bit, a bit of streaming online for those who so can't make it? We don't currently stream it at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, that's something we've investigated. We can have a conversation another day about some of the challenges around streaming events like this. Uh, our, our, we, we, we do showcase a lot of videos from our past events. So people visit webdirections.org. They'll find lots of videos from past events that are similar to this, uh, similar content, as well as you know over, over the next coming months, there'll be our videos from this event going up there as well. Great, and webdirections.org is where you can get a ticket to Web Directions you Design. Can indeed. Fantastic. John also of uh, Web Directions, thank you very much for joining us tonight. You're most welcome. Thanks, John. On the line now, we have uh, Dominic Hayes, who is uh, behind the new app Plant Life Balance. It's a it's a Australian first virtual greening app using augmented reality to educate us on how to improve air quality and general well being. Uh, Dominic, thanks for joining us. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me.
that's uh, not a problem at all. Now, um, it sounds like a really interesting idea. Did you want to give us a bit of an outline as to what Plant Life Balance actually does? So Plant Life Balance, it's actually, I think, an international first, not just an Australian first. Oh, wow, congratulations. It's, yeah, it's, it's an app that um, allows people to connect to the benefits of plants, both from a health and an indoor air quality perspective, but more than that, it helps them to connect to what look works for them. So um, it was developed in response to um, 2020-20 have this vision of increasing um, people's connection to plants by 20% by 2020. And, um, and so they did this public consultation where they asked people, what, how can we help you um, have more plants in your life? And one of the things that came from the public was, well, we've heard that there's benefits to plants, but the science re is really inaccessible and we don't know what to believe. So, um, And, you know, I'm, I'm not much of a green thumb and I kill my plants and so I feel uncomfortable about having plants in my house. And so they developed this app to make it easy to choose plants. So with the, uh, with the plant choices and placing them, while it is about the look that you want, there seems to be a little bit more to it because I was one of those, uh, oh, I still am, uh, one of those uneducated uh, people when it comes to this where I thought, oh, maybe it's just about having the greenery or, you know, adding a little bit of nature into your life. But there's a lot of stuff about air quality and the impact of um, indoors versus outdoors and how different sizes and um, species of plants can help that. Did you want to touch on that a little bit? Sure. So there, there are two main benefits that we get from having plants in our home. The first one is the air quality one. Um, plants actually do uh, help keep... One, one plant will improve your air quality in a room by 25%, in fact, one medium-sized plant. So it's, it's taking toxins out of the air, it's, it's producing oxygen, it's um, taking small particles out of the air and so forth. And there's also a well-being, a mental well-being. Um, our brains evolved and developed in nature and uh, it's only the last sort of few hundred years that we've spent most of our time indoors and, uh, and so to actually be physically and mentally well we need to reconnect with nature and plants in the home can actually do that. So they're the two benefits the science tells us so, and uh, of having plants. So, sorry, go ahead. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> Right. So, um, so you, you've been working, um, you're, you're in the academic space yourself. Uh, what, what was the uh, impetus? Why did you decide that an app was the best way to do it? And who else have you been working with on it? So um, the Hort Innovation and Nursery Gardens Industry Australia were the ones that um, thought the app was a great idea. And then they engaged... Uh, <sighs> A, a group of people who then put out a tender for who can help us develop the back end to the app and, and we responded to that. And uh, we responded to that because we're very interested in supporting people to be as healthy and sustainable as possible and plants is a critical part of that. Um, and we were involved in it with um, five other universities around Australia to bring kind of the wisdom of Australia into the project and then we looked at over 50 years worth of research on benefits of plants to bring it together to some simple equations that go into the app and allow you to have that little um, round thing that tells you what benefit each plant is giving you. Excellent. Um, uh, we can't be on a tech show and not talk a little bit about the tech specs of the app itself. So it uses augmented reality to, um, to measure the room you're in. Uh, what, what sort of sensors uh, are, are we using uh, on the app and, and what, what data is it, is it getting from the room? 
So, so um, apart from the equations that talk about the health and, and, and air quality aspects, um, what you do is you go into the app and you say, I'm in a small room, a medium room or a large room, and, and, and that just um, gives you dimensions and kind of examples of what that looks like. So you choose those. Then you can take a photo of your space. You can choose the type of look that you like because that's very important for the well-being, but mm -hmm. it's the look that you like. So, you know, are you a shabby chic kind of person or are you a cactus kind of person or are you a um, rainforest kind of person? And then you take that to choose the plants you want and then you bring the plants into the photo of your space so that you can see what those plants would look like in your space. And as you're doing that, <coughs> excuse me, as, as you're doing that, the equation is then work out what your air quality and well-being benefits are. Excellent. And, and, we'll, uh, yeah, you go. and we'll give you options if if you're putting your uh, targets in, will it give you various options around what you can do or is it just, is it more of a, of a this is best for you kind of thing? Um, so say once you've picked rainforest look or a child-friendly look or, or if it's a balcony, a bee-friendly look, um, then you've taken a photo of your space. Um, it gives you 20, 30 types of plants that you can then drag into your space, change the size of, um, so that, yeah, you can play around with your look and the plants and that's the choice that you have. Uh, so there sounds like a lot of uh, really exciting features in the app already, but also a lot of connections that it could have with other things for example uh, making a list of plants that you can then take to your nursery is there anything any other integrations or or anything else that you've got um, underway that you can tell us about yeah, so there's two kind of further developments. There's the app side where they're working with the um, the plant hunter Georgia Reed, uh, Georgina Reed actually, to um, develop four more looks, so update the or increase the number of looks that people can look at. Um, there's a whole bunch of new plants being put in. Um, they're getting a new um, uh, ambassador to be the kind of uh, front face of this and um, and they're improving uh, or not improving actually building on the there's quite a lot of following online and so uh, working with the people that are already online with using the app and, and supporting them from the research side um, we've got a project underway or we're proposing a project where we're going to take an apartment take all the air quality measurements and then keep adding more plants and then just just seeing um, you know within an apartment within Melbourne um, what is what is happening as we're adding plants to this apartment? Um, we also are working on improving the equations. As you can imagine, it was a very quick turnaround for the science to fit within the app time frame. And so, you know, as as scientists and as people that really like to have everything perfect, we can see the gaps in the equation, and we'd really like to fill those gaps with some additional research. Um, and lastly, we're working with an industry partner that, who make um, green walls and green roofs and other sort of um, greenery systems to test their systems for how much CO2 they absorb, how much oxygen they give, um, what the air quality benefits. So, yeah, we're continuing to do research to improve the equation that's in the app. Excellent. Um, so there's obviously been a whole lot of research put into this, but how, how long was the actual technical development process and, and what was involved in that? So um, the development was around a six months process. Um, the research part that we were part of at, at the University of Melbourne, RMIT and the other universities that we worked with uh, was about a two month process. So um, we did a whole, we looked at the 50 years worth of research, we distilled it, we then ran, fed that information to our five partner universities. We had a few workshops um, making sure that our assumptions and the equations were working. 
um, and then that information went into the app. Then we got the app as a prototype and we tested it and we said, no, this is not right, that's not right. We were very integrated into the app development process. Um, at first they had a, a single measure and we said you can't do that because air quality is very different from wellbeing. Um, and so we worked very close with the app developers to have that two-tiered version of looking at benefit. So about a six-month process. Well, we're very excited to see uh, everything that, that comes out of this and especially as we're integrating and getting more and more smart homes. Um, it'd be great to even have plant life balance with reminders on when to water your plants and mm -hmm. um, or maybe, you know, even smart home programming, getting that all sorted out for you as well or, or ordering plants straight to your door. There's definitely a lot of potential there. Yeah, I've just um, got a Google Mini and playing with that. I could just imagine, hey, Google, when should I uh, be watering my plants? <laughs> what, what fertilizer is best? <laughs> uh, Dr. Dominique Hess of the Melbourne School of Design. Um, it, it actually sounds like an awesome app and something that I'm definitely going to investigate myself because I don't have enough greenery in my life. Uh, thank Absolutely, you. And it's free. It's completely so free. No and, on Android and uh, iPhone, I take it? Fantastic. Thank you very much for joining us tonight, Donnelly, and uh, have a great night. Yep, thank you. Will do. And uh, Tyler, there's been some news coming out of the Bureau of Meteorology. Yes, some very, very interesting news. Uh, the police, the Australian Federal Police, the big guys, are investigating two Bureau of Meteorology employees who will now be referred to as the bomb employees because that's a mouthful to say. Mm -hmm. um, have running an elaborate operation involving the use of the bro's powerful computers to mine cryptocurrencies. Allegedly. 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 It's uh, all alleged. Yeah, it says that, that the investigation is ongoing. Uh, one of the possibilities of uh, what they may have been doing is bringing in their own gear and using the bureau's electricity to avoid having to pay. Because as we know, the electricity cost for mining cryptocurrency is insane. And it's, yeah. In, and interestingly though, um, the bureau and we've we've covered a, a few things that have happened with the Bureau of Media or the bomb over the last couple of years with regards to hacking and whatnot. But the bomb is well known for having some of the most powerful computers in the country mm -hmm. uh, running, you know, uh, rain radars and all the uh, prognostications and all the kind of stuff that you get to make sure that your app tells you what the weather is going to be correctly. Mm. They've got the best computers in the country. And so if you're looking for some high-speed, high-processing power, uh, Bitcoin mining Machine, <laughs> you're going to go into the bomb offices and do it, if, yeah. allegedly. 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 Interestingly <laughs> enough, for any conspiracy uh, theorists out there, last month uh, the Bureau of Meteorology was in the headlines again through through fake ads on its website for a Bitcoin scam. What? Um, yeah, so it had it was hosting fake ads that were saying Elon Musk quits Tesla and is now going into Bitcoin. And but the, <laughs> but, um, but the ABC has reported that these two things are not linked at this stage. Um, it would be really interesting if they were. So. Well, we'll <laughs> see. <laughs> I didn't even know that the bomb had ads on their website. <laughs> yeah. You'd think it wouldn't. It's a it, government organisation. Oh, who knows? Yeah. Oh, man. Spe speaking of government, um, the Chinese WeChat app, WeChat app, not WeChat app, uh, WeChat has been uh, banned by the Defence Department. Now, um, it's probably the most popular uh, of the uh, chat apps in China at the very yes. least. And um, it... it it has been used, uh, I think, 
by Australian defence as ways of perhaps monitoring or looking at uh, Chinese communication. Mm-hmm. I th- it would be for that, but also corresponding with people um, in China who use the platform. If we're if we're saying that you know the um, defence department has said you can't use that on any official phones, mm-hmm. these are any anyone who's employed by it. So mm-hmm. you could have relatives in China who only communicate on that app, or mm-hmm. you could have you know, just contacts or friends or um, what have you. So it does impact all of that as well. It it is one of the only ways to communicate without uh, using all of the uh, exorbitant phone company charges from China. Obviously, they don't have Facebook or anything like that. Mm. And this uh, this seems to be indicative of of a broader trend towards uh, Western defence departments and security departments not trusting products that come from China, Mm. Um, whether that's with regard to, you know, possible espionage or anything like that or it could be completely unfounded. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're seeing, you know, the FBI in the US, say, um, the director of the FBI, Chris Ray, said last month he doesn't exactly trust products from Chinese telecom companies. And it, lo- it looks like this might be something that's shared across a number of defence departments. I mean, it's got... Well, in China, they're not using other products. So it's just interesting, but um, it's just one of those things to, to see how it plays out. But if you are looking for something to play out this week... (laughs) Segway of the week. Yeah. uh, You can jump on Google Maps, press a little box with a question mark on it and have Super Mario jump on instead of the car um, to actually take you on a direction where you want to go. So, I'm doing this right now. So um, this is... there. They've put Mario on the map um, for... Mario Day, which is March 10. March oh, I get it. Oh, yeah. Okay. I was um, reading it and it didn't make sense. <laughs> you, you're, you're the <laughs> but, uh, but we missed we missed that, but it's still on for the rest of the week. No. Um, you need to make sure you've got the latest version of the app mm-hmm. um, from Google Play or the App Store, and then you can enable Mario Time, and it says, let's go. <laughs> That's my favourite <laughs> bit. Um, and you can actually see Mario going to work or, or school. And um, they've said to take a screenshot and share it with Google Maps on Twitter or Instagram, but hopefully not share your personal yeah, identifiable um, information. Yeah. They already Turn have off geotagging, please. Yeah, and all that so, stuff, yeah. Um, but that's, that's a little fun little thing that, that you can try before it's over. So you've got, get you've got to get, well, I'm, I'm waiting for the Yoshi day. I want there uh, to be a Yoshi cart at some point. If you're listening, Google, I know that you probably are listening because you listen to everything. Guys, <laughs> which particular uh, Mario Kart character do you guys want to see? Uh, everyone knows Luigi is the most underrated uh, he got a whole year uh, last year. Nintendo it was year of Luigi. What? Yeah, is um is that because he uh, felt inferior and they needed yeah, to boost I, I him up? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he's, yeah. Uh, he's got got small man syndrome for a in, tall guy, and he's taller yeah. too, which is strange. In unrelated news, my little brother had his confirmation last year and uh, got to choose a name and chose Luigi. So. Uh, is there? <laughs> yeah, I thought it needed to be a saint. Is, is there, there a saint, saint Luigi? Is there a saint yes. Luigi? I suppose Italian saints. That makes of sense. Course, yeah, that yeah, makes yeah. perfect sense. It is three minutes to eight on three triple R. You are listening to Bite Into It with Dan, Cassie, and Tyler and we're uh, heading towards the final minutes of the show. But before we do, there is an event coming up called What Do You Know? Uh, Melbourne March 2018 is this Thursday, uh, so tomorrow at 5.30pm. It's being run by uh, Web Directions. We did speak to John Alsop earlier in the evening, uh, featuring speakers talking about all things design, including uh, user research, CX, UX, UI, product... Uh, there'll be 10 presentations across a broad range of design focused topics and perhaps you might even get a sneak peek at some of the upcoming Design 2018 conference speakers. Uh, so uh, if you are interested in uh, 
getting a bit of a taste of the Web Directions Design Conference. Uh, you would, could do a lot worse than heading to um, What Do You Know this Thursday at 5.30pm. Guys, it's been a great show. Thank you very much for joining us. Well, thank you for, for <laughs> being here. It helps. Yes, um, well, <laughs> It's, it's been fun. It, it has, has been, been fun. fun yeah. but, but, but speaking, uh, just before we go, I do want to touch on this creepy Alexa laugh thing. Uh, so I'm, I'm not a user of Alexa myself. I don't have an Alexa, but I love stories of tech screwing with people. So mm. obviously I love hearing this. So Alexa home device, kind of like Google Home or, or what have you, um, there's been reports of it uh, creepily laughing at people, right, uh, over over the past few weeks and people have been freaked out. They're like, I thought a kid was laughing behind me or uh, why is it just laughing out of the blue? The Amazon's come out and said, it's okay, you can put the batteries back in. Um, <laughs> we fixed the problem. Uh, it was mishearing Alexa laugh mm. and then just creepily laughing. <laughs> so now it will say, yes, I can laugh and then <laughs> laugh, which is a oh, little bit no. less weird. That's uh, only uh, a little bit less weird. Do you, uh, do you ask people to laugh? I don't ask people to laugh. Yeah, but I don't want my machines laughing at uh, me. No, this is very true. <laughs> Guys, we probably should wrap it up before we... Uh, say something we shouldn't. Well, we have been bite into it uh, with uh, Dan Salmon, Cassiera and Tyler Smythe. Thank you very much for joining us. Up next is Anthony Carew with the International Pop Underground. Stick around and uh, have a listen to that. See you guys next week. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.